it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Playerprofiler.com slash offers. Tis the season to check out our sponsors. They support the show. Rival Fantasy promo code PLAYER. Underdog. Prediction Strike. Sleeper. Check them out at playerprofiler.com slash offers to get the best promotions when you sign up. Top 10 takeaways from my parents' bedroom in Maine. Yes, yes, we are on the road, but we're consuming a lot of football and a great set of games. Uh, had some fun with the family. We uh, we watched the Packers-Dolphins game, and we got to see uh, Tua Tungaveloa exposed. And it was interesting because it just it reminded me why I did do not like to watch traditional football broadcasts because wow, just talking points, right? It was was, it was no actual in-depth analysis. They had prepared notes from talking to the coach throughout the week, and and their researchers gave them some notes. But it was there was not like a, a criticism of the teams. It was all just, hey, here's why Tua is so great this year. Or here's why you know this player is so great. Oh, he, he, this is why this player is amazing. And I was like, wait, wait, Tua's not even playing that well, right? It was a, a good first drive, right? They started, they started strong, and he's been uh, anticipating throws that were not there the entire second half. He hasn't looked good at all. What are we talking about? There was this whole story about. Mike McDaniel, how he sat down and he went through this highlight package and he was thinking about his perfect quarterback, right? This here's the story. This is the narrative. This was from the broadcast. I do not get to listen to the broadcast very often. So this was this was interesting. So I was like, okay, this is this is okay. So he was he watched a whole set of highlights from Tua, all his throws, every single Tua throw. There's not that many throws. It's not that impressive. To sit down and watch all of Tua's throws is not like, oh wow, this is a huge effort. It's like a few hours. What are we talking about? He's like, oh, you know, I put together a, a, a package of throws that I would think that my perfect quarterback could and would throw. And as it turns out, oh, 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 it was Tua that threw all those passes. He's our perfect quarterback. Wow. How about that? I can't wait to get in the room with Tua and talk to him about it. This is exciting, right? And it's like, um... So uh, that's a fake story. And if you had your choice of quarterbacks, Tua would not be among your top 10 around the league. So stop lying. If I were you, right, if I were McDaniel, I would have done the same thing. I'd be like, this is the quarterback we have, right? What We've got to make the best of it, right? We know what Teddy Bridgewater is at this point. So let's make the best of it with Tua. What do we got to do with Tua? Well, we want to instill confidence we want to build him up how do you build him up well you lie and tell him that he's your perfect quarterback (laughs) it's like no yeah you go ahead you reverse engineer a whole narrative around him being your perfect quarterback when really he's not at all he's super flawed 
He does not have a strong arm, and he's not accurate down the field, and he has to, you know, anticipate throws and windows opening that quarterbacks with stronger arms just don't have to do. And, you know, against certain other defenses, it's fine. That works. Like, you always know what you're seeing. And then when defenses start to throw new coverages, new looks at you based on the film that you're laying down, it's not surprising that, oh, I'm anticipating this throw is going to be there. But we've now been running this offense for weeks. And teams are now seeing the tendencies. And they're closing those out. They're closing those down. Or they're faking a coverage that a defense should, you know, showed to us 10 weeks ago, I think that that's what I'm getting. And then as the play unfolds, it morphs into something else. And then suddenly I'm throwing an interception. That window's not where I thought it would be. That defender's not where I thought he would be. It makes sense. It makes sense that Tua would start hot with McDaniel and then fade as teams adjust and take advantage of his weakness. He has Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. So at this point, the team is 500. They made huge investments across the, the, especially the offense, but on both sides of the ball, but particularly Teron Armstead and Tyreek Hill. You're going to bring in Teron Armstead. You're going to bring in Tyreek Hill. You should be more than 500, right? You should have a winning record at the very least. I think the Dolphins are holding on to a winning record now, but they're fading, right? So, the Dolphins did themselves a service as well as Tua in that they let the franchise play this season out with the quarterback that has the high draft capital so they can have a proper assessment. Hey, listen, we're going to put the best wide receiver duo in the in the league and we're going to we're improving the protection. We're going to give Tua a fair assessment, which they've done. And now you're looking up, you are better off streaming uh, Gardner Minshew. Can we get to that game? Can we just get to the Gardner Minshew game? 26 fantasy points. I mean, yeah, baby. And I love how Gardner Minshew checked every box for the ideal streaming quarterback that we've always been looking for. I devoted the entire monologue of my last podcast, The Mind of Mansion Show with Alex Caruso, dedicated the entire monologue to, to... to the streaming of quarterbacks, right? And what to look for when streaming quarterbacks. You have Gardner Minshew, who has 25-point upside. And here's why. The weapons, right? It, two of his receivers went over 100 yards. And, oh, his ability to run. Not prolific, but a tactical scrambler. And he ran four times. One for a touchdown. I was like, this is the perfect... I mean, you couldn't make this up. And then... The, the the bonus was the game situation, that this is teed up for a shootout where, you know, Philadelphia is, is going to be losing at times and need to come from behind. And that was the fourth quarter. And he didn't make it, right? He's not Jalen Hurts, but uh, 26 fantasy points in the process, 355 yards passing in the process was just chef's kiss. Thank you very much. He really, he bailed me out. In a number of leagues this week, uh, very because I had a lot of Jalen Hurts and he, of the teams that advanced. A lot of them were Jalen Hurts teams, so I was I was stuck. I had some teams where I didn't get uh, Minshew, so either he was either rostered already in dynasty leagues, or you all listened to me and you blocked me from getting him in these patron leagues, which is fine, which is fine. Uh, 
there wasn't a lot of other options in some of these deeper leagues and some of these two quarterback in uh, super flex leagues. Uh, ended up starting a Trace McSorley, went down in flames with Trace McSorley in a league. Uh, so I'm sore about that. But this game is interesting on a, on a lot of levels. So Elliott and Pollard are both RB1s in fantasy, which is interesting. And it it's like Pollard is Jamal Charles and Ezekiel Elliott is Thomas Jones. That is the best comp that I have. That's a takeaway is that Elliott and Pollard are Jamal Charles and Thomas Jones, where Thomas Jones was in this high-powered Chiefs offense and you know scoring touchdowns, right? He was getting the yards between the 20s. He was giving you those touchdowns in the red zone, wasn't catching a lot of passes. It was Jamal Charles that was more efficient. He had he was the slasher. He was catching passes out of the backfield. And no surprise, was an absolute beast for fantasy. But the beauty was Thomas Jones kept Jamal Charles healthy. Jamal Charles has a low BMI, right? So he's lanky. And those running backs especially don't tend to hold up. But if you're only giving him, say, a 40% opportunity share, and most of that between the tackles work, between the 20s, a lot of that volume that's not super fruitful for fantasy, that can go to Thomas Jones, that can go to Ezekiel Elliott, and then Tony Pollard, same thing. He has a lower BMI, but he's explosive. Right, so he's giving you the explosive runs. He's giving you, uh, you know, x times the number of catches out of the backfield, and that's exactly what we saw. And it was also interesting that Philadelphia may be moving Kenny Gainwell into more of a Tony Pollard role. Gainwell had four targets for 41 yards. He was super efficient in the passing game, and that's more targets. So he had four targets, four catches. He was four for four. So. Gainwell had more catches in this Week 16 game than Miles Sanders has had targets in any given game this year. So that's a takeaway. Also love seeing T.Y. Hilton with the big play. Just get him in there. He's in that Deshaun Jackson role, just getting in there for the the deep pass. And we, we got the Michael Gallup touchdown. Right after just the the fantasy PTSD for Michael Gallup, very strong, and watching him score the touchdown, I was like, "Yep, yeah, yeah, this that's about right. This this sounds about right. Yep, shootout, Michael Gallup touchdown. Okay, but uh, Lamb was the play. I love seeing Prescott Lamb stacks smashing, seeing the Minshew Devonte Smith stack smashing. That just it's a feel good. It's feel good when. Multiple touchdowns go to the primary option or the 1B option that are DFS uh, stacking options. So that was great to see. Washington at San Francisco ended up being uh, more of a game than I thought. We did not see this game shooting out, but somehow 57 points were scored. Brock Purdy was a streaming option between 15 and 20 fantasy points once again. Heineke would have outscored him, but he was benched. So the combination of Heineke and Wentz went for 24 points, but you can't start two quarterbacks in one quarterback slot, unfortunately. Antonio Gibson going, you know, five rush attempts for 10 yards. 
and only getting three targets was just brutal. I mean, it was just for for him to equal the targets of Jonathan Williams was sad. But I'd like seeing McLaurin and Dotson and Samuel all get touchdowns too. So when the touchdowns consolidate around your three best receivers, you love that. And on the other side, it was the same thing. Whereas like all the yards, right, 200 plus yards went to Kittle and Ayuk and the other guys accounted for like 30 yards. That is target consolidation. And George Kittle's great. He just happens to be on a team that doesn't feature the tight end. And that's what they, they also talked about this. This this I'll keep going back because this was the game that I watched with the volume on with my family. Kept talking about Gusecki and how he's a lot like George Kittle, right? And if it's just, it's just game plan, game to game, that he may not be as involved and that he just has to deal with it. First of all, he's not George Kittle in any way, shape, or form, okay? George Kittle is TJ Hawkinson. We're going to get to TJ Hawkinson, but TJ Hawkinson is no jag. TJ Hawkinson is very similar to George Kittle in that he's a great blocker so when the game plan calls for him to block he ends up getting fewer targets so he's not like Darren Waller in that way and I remember a year and a half ago we were out first saying hey you got to get Darren Waller in fantasy football and we ranked him ahead of George Kittle I remember this conversation I had with Josh Larkey about this very topic. It's a problem when a team has multiple receiving options that are well above average, multiple playmakers, and they also like to run the ball and like to run the stretch zone. That ends up creating blocking assignments for an otherwise playmaking tight end where they end up getting caught blocking on these rollouts. They end up getting caught, you know, mixed up in the line of scrimmage and can't release on these play action pass plays it's a mess right it's a mess it's football right if if you're just looking for a great tight end to be one of the best two-way tight ends in the league then you want that guy that guy's also tj hawkinson he's doing some very similar stuff in minnesota it's just that He's on an offense with Kirk Cousins that's going to be scoring a lot more. But on the other side, now Kittle, he only has one player that's competing for targets with him, and that's Brandon Ayuk. So, of course, Kittle is going to smash in the absence of Debo Samuel. The problem with Kittle all along has been that Debo Samuel is like a tight end wide receiver running back hybrid. That Debo Samuel's not a traditional wide receiver. That has really hurt George Kittle in that Debo operates best in those short and intermediate areas of the field where he could take advantage of his yards after the catch ability. Well, that's Kittle's whole game, right? So that's you know, not only is there a, 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 a law of the conservation of targets, but there's also the, the law of the conservation of roles. And when these two players are competing for a similar role, similar route tree similar game plan like where they show up in the game plan you're going to throw that pass that designed pass that drag across the 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 short areas of the formation it's going to go to Debo right it's probably going to go to Debo and if you need uh extra protect extra protection then George Kittle can block right cool right you're drawing it up you want to draw a successful play not for fantasy football not for people that have george kittle on their fantasy team but for just a a successful football play probably going to feature george kittle now with no debo you can draw that up for george kittle 
George Kittle, fewer blocking assignments, right? And that's something to look for in the offseason. What is the blocking rate? And that's why we pay special attention to the total number of routes and the route participation percentage. On Player Profiler, we have the route participation rate, and that was the original thesis for Waller over Kittle was sure Kittle's more efficient, but Waller's just running a lot more routes because his percentage of pass plays where he runs a route is like well over 90%. And poor George Kittle, he can't compete with that, especially on a team with a lower pass rate. So you turn the pass rate down, you turn the route participation rate down. Of course, George Kittle can't compete with Darren Waller. Now things have changed. You remove Debo Samuel from the equation. Suddenly, Kittle is a smash chalk play. A little bit different with TJ Hawkinson because TJ Hawkinson is competing with a full-blown alpha in Justin Jefferson. So we're really never going to know like who are the secondary targets going to go to. Is it going to be an Osborne week? Is it going to be a Hawkinson week? It's never a Thielen week. I mean, Thielen. <laughs> Thielen, man. I mean, we're going to look back at this game. Goes against New York at home. This is not a scary matchup. Gives you five targets, one catch, six yards, barely over one yard per target, and he doesn't get the touchdown, right? Oh, the touchdown, he's the touchdown, he's the red zone weapon, right? Where was he in the red zone? This was the whole thesis for Thielen. It's like, no, you can't build an entire reason for drafting a player who's clearly on the wrong side of the age apex and is in steep decline. You cannot talk yourself into drafting him just based on touchdown rate when Justin Jefferson is always the number one read. And then there's the possibility they go and acquire someone like TJ Hawkinson and he gets two of the touchdowns. So Hawkinson is going to thrive in this offense, but he's going to be a lot more volatile than George Kittle without Debo. George Kittle with Debo is the most volatile tight end in the NFL. Because he has these one or two weeks where the game plan calls for it, where he goes nuclear, otherwise very quiet, right? When Debo is on the field, Hawkinson is going to have more of these kinds of uh, you know, 20-plus weeks. I mean, he's now had multiple weeks with more than 30 fantasy points. Anytime you're tight end, in a, in a world where these tight ends are giving you, you know, one for seven some weeks, giving you a Thielen outcome any given week. You never know. It's right around the corner. When, when, when am I going to get sideswiped by one of these like three-point performances from my tight end? It happens all the time. Tight end is an impossible position to figure out. If you knew you're just getting a couple weeks with you know 30 plus points, you know, game winning, matchup winning upside from your tight end, you just play him. You take zeros some weeks, whatever. Like that guy's not a jag. It. This is why we have player profile. Player profiler exists so you can see efficiency metrics like yards per target, like yards per route run. We have all these production premium, which looks at all the targets to TJ Hawkinson compared to targets from the same downs and distances to other tight ends around the league. And what is TJ Hawkinson's output? Positive values are great. Negative values are bad. So we have all these efficiency metrics to show, okay, this guy is definitely above average in the efficiency department. Any given target to him is going to net you more fantasy points than the average tight end. That's the best way to explain that. And then beyond that, you say, well, okay, well, what is this guy intrinsically? You can look at things like yards after the catch. You can look at things. We even have the juke rate now. The evaded the tackles per touch is now a metric we have for tight ends, a metric we have for wide receivers. 
And you can look at the, the workout metrics and you can see, oh, this guy has George Kittle level athleticism. And this guy, he's breaking out later than George. George Kittle established himself as a top three tight end a little bit earlier in his career. But Hawkinson's like a year later, right? Hawkinson's broken out at, at, at this kind of like top three level just a year later than George Kittle did. So he just happened to find himself now in a situation where he's in a prolific offense and he's the number two option. And that's what you need to know. You also need to know that when a offense goes to face Minnesota, there's going to be points scored. And there's going to be points scored by wide receivers in that game, right? Yes, you're going to play Barkley, of course. But Richie James, Isaiah Hodgins, Darius Slayton combined for 50 fantasy points. Like, this is it. This is why you expand. This is a takeaway. This is why you expand your fantasy league to add flex positions. I was starting Richie James in leagues. I was starting Hodgins in leagues. I even started Darius Slayton in a league. I did start Darius Slayton in a start five wide receivers with a flex patron league, and I I won that matchup. So I actually won a matchup with Slayton, won a matchup with Hodgins, lost the matchup I had with uh, Richie James, but it's fun. It's like, hey, Richie James also, he's he was... A dominant college receiver, and he's always been a playmaker in these little spurts, right? These little spurts. And then suddenly, he gets a chance to be a starter, an established starter. And Hodgins, too. Hodgins was a quality receiver in college. Like, oh, this guy's good. And there were multiple wide receivers from Rhode Island in that draft class that ended up going pro. And Hodgins is the one that just happened to, happened to uh, you know, produce. But... I like going to player profiler and looking up these guys, guys like Isaiah Hodgins. Cause I'm like, Oh, let's type in Isaiah Hodgins. Oh, this is interesting. Oh, okay. This guy has a little bit of size. All right. This guy was drafted, right? This is, this is, this is okay. Okay. All right. This guy's, you know, he's not super fast, but I mean, he's six, four He has above average burst, above average agility. Right? He doesn't compare to the big-time producers around the league. But he's only 24 years old. He has the outside wide receiver position locked up. In certain matchups where you know you're going to go against a weak secondary and you're going to be facing a lot of negative game script, these are just the perfect times to play wide receivers like Isaiah Hodgins. And I know that Cody's been talking about him on a loop. I can't talk about every player in every situation, which is why we have all these other shows. It's why we have you know Matty Kwoom with the game plan show. We have Cody featured Isaiah Hodgins multiple times on Undercovered Ops. It, this is why. It's not for necessarily that particular week. Maybe they're playing the Eagles that week, and it's a you know absolutely not situation, right? It's a no-start situation under no circumstances. Then they play the Vikings. Like, yes, yes. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Cody. Very cool. 50 fantasy points. <laughs> right? From those guys. Just like, amazing. Also wanted to check in with George Pickens. George Pickens has been a, a frequent topic of conversation. And he did well again. He was efficient again. George Pickens now officially has a knack for having a 100% catch rate and putting up over 50 yards in a game. And now he's starting to have a knack for catching touchdown passes. 
and no surprise. They're going to say, oh, this is a Kenny Pickett play, right? If it's Trubisky, he hates Pickens. No, I think that Pickens is just evolving, growing, and we were right. We were right to post him up and not, you know, there was real pressure. It was real pressure to drive a stake through the heart of George Pickens and Dynasty. Uh, in recent shows, I mean, Rich Rebar put me under pressure on TJ Hawkinson, put me under pressure on George Pickens, and you know, I pushed back as much as I'm, you know, I'm going to push back. But when you take a step back and you look at what TJ Hawkinson is, you're like, okay, th- th- this guy's too athletic. He was too much of a college producer, and he's had too many big boom weeks in the NFL where he was the chalk in DFS, and he delivers like a 30-point performance when you knew he was going to be getting the targets, right? But that's the thing. What more can you ask of a tight end, right? When you get the targets, you deliver. You secure the football in traffic. You you roll up all these extra yards after the catch, which most tight ends cannot do. That's the difference. That's the thing that distinguishes one tight end from the next. So if I had the option of drafting a Kyle Pitts next year or a TJ Hawkinson, TJ Hawkinson has these spike weeks. He's actually done it with similar draft capital, a similar athletic profile. So that's going to be the decision point where you're like, okay, I could take the tight end on the Falcons. Oh, man. A low-scoring team for sure. Falcons will be a low-scoring team next year. Or on one of the highest-scoring teams who's much more established. I think that the the situation, that, that decision point becomes clear. With George Pickens... We saw that he was getting all the snaps, right? He's running the routes. He's not necessarily always commanding targets, but he's young. He's 21, 22 years old. Now he started to command the targets. Then when he's commanding the targets, what is he doing? He's securing them all. He's super efficient with those targets down the field. This is a great sign, right? Not all rookies can command a huge target share. I mean, that is great. If you do that as a rookie, if you're Drake London, that's a great sign. Right, I'm on board with Drake London. The rookie year target share is a big part of that. But that's not every receiver that ends up being a, a perennial wide receiver one in fantasy. Sometimes they just show you efficiency. They're in a, a, a low-volume offense. They're in a terrible situation. They're part of the growth and development process of a, of a rookie quarterback along with themselves. So, so it's a rookie quarterback throwing to a rookie receiver, and you're surprised when there's inconsistency. You're surprised when this guy's not getting 10 targets a game. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Of course you're not surprised. Of course you want George Pickens, right? So even if George Pickens is not commanding the number of targets you'd like to see, he's not been as productive as you'd like to see. He's starting to get, you know, vastly out-targeted by Deontay Johnson, especially with Mitchell Trubisky, our assessment was there's no reason to panic, right? We're not going to drop him below Christian Watson. Although Watson, again, my God, another touchdown, right? So at some point you're going to be like, well, yeah, George Pickens has a much better prospect profile and the Packers should have drafted George Pickens, but all Christian Watson does is make plays. All he does is score touchdowns. He's the Chris Carter of rookie receivers. So that's going to be, I think that's a great ongoing debate. You have two second round picks, the two best second round picks on the board from the 2022 class. One ends up with a better quarterback. One had a better prospect profile. Both 
exciting athletic profiles. And it was interesting. I did pick up one nugget, right? One nugget from, from the, uh, from the, from the broadcast, which was that Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson had only been on the field together for like 5% of the plays. Because early in the season, Watson was out, hamstring injury, a series of nagging injuries, and there might have been a hip injury in there. And then Dobbs has been out for you know an extended period of time. And they're both playing together. And then, oh, eh, Watson goes out. And then when they throw to Dobbs, of course, not converted. I was like, you know, it's it's interesting how these things play out where two months ago, so many would have said, oh, it's Dobbs. Oh, he's he's the, he's the, he's the number one receiver in the waiting, right? If you're like, oh, well, Lazard's playing and he made some nice catches. Lazard likes to, likes to deliver on the outside sporadically. Like okay, Lazard's no longer the number one in, in in Green Bay. Like oh, it must be Dobbs, right? That's what the 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 because that's what the narrative that'll be fed to these people. Like he's, he's he's been making plays in camp, and this is this is what I read from the beat reporters, and and this is what the 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 show notes that were handed to me before the broadcast. And I'm gonna go down. This is what I'm gonna say. I'm not gonna do my own research. I'm not gonna have my own feelings. I'm just gonna be just repeating whatever is fed to me. The narratives, the 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 anecdotes. That are fed to me by the pre-production crew. I don't know. Imagine that. Imagine if someone said, "Hey, you know, Dobbs dropped another pass. It was week two, and you know, the Packers really need to get Christian Watson healthy. He is destined to be the number one receiver for this team. Just needs the opportunity, and he will launch himself past Dobbs uh, within a week or two uh, of getting healthy." You would never hear. A member of the broadcast team say that that would be crazy. No, they would just go with the flow. Oh, Dobbs, you know he's 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 Aaron Rodgers' like favorite. It's not, none of that was true. So silly. Oh, Chiefs are dangerous. So I was, uh, talking to my my parents about football and uh, who's gonna who's gonna be in the Super Bowl, and I was like, oh, the Bills, Bills. I was like, ah. Patrick Mahomes looking pretty good, right? Usually you lose talent. Right, you lose a player like Tyree Kill. You're trying to rebuild on the fly. You're not necessarily gonna win the same number of games as you did last year. Like, but you know the the narrative was, oh, Andy Reid and you know Andy Reid, Andy Reid, the system, Mahomes, the system, Andy Reid, the system, and and no, that, that's, that I need more than that, right? Well, as it turns out, no. It turns out Raiders weren't as good. Denver wasn't as good. The AFC West, not nearly as good as advertised. Kansas City was just as advertised. They, Kansas City just happened to be the only as advertised team. And because the rest of the teams crumbled around them, now they're 12-3. and three. But look at the scoreboard. 24-10. Seattle only putting up 10 points. This is a warning shot to the Buffalo Bills. This Kansas City defense keeps getting better and better and better. And Pacheco was great. Right, Pacheco had twice the number of opportunities. I mean, this is so, I mean, so Jarek McKinnon, so satellite back, so the player profiler process that McKinnon would get half the opportunities and still put up twelve fantasy points to Pacheco's nine. Right now, he's so 
McKinnon puts up 33% more fantasy points on half the opportunities. Why? Because more of those opportunities came in the passing game. And of course, he had the touchdown. But Pacheco really is on the verge of, of a breakout game. I, I know I keep saying that, but I mean, look at the share of the, uh, these are the types of games you want. You want him at home, right? He's hogging all the, the running back carries. He got 14 running back carries compared to six for the other two running backs. He even got two targets. He was the second leading receiver. So Pacheco was the second leading receiver on two targets. I know the snap share has been coming down. I get it. But we saw this. Remember this argument. Like you just can't look at snap shares in a vacuum. You have to look at snap shares in the context of the game flow, right? When the Chiefs are up 17-3, that's going to be Pacheco week. And the snap share is going to snap back to what it was previously when the Chiefs happened to be in the shootout and they had to basically just run the two-minute offense for a large percentage of the game. Of course, Pacheco's snap share is going to go down. And if that, if that happened in two consecutive weeks, all of a sudden that's a trend. Now he snaps back. Right? But no touchdowns. It's worth remembering, though. Pacheco had four consecutive weeks with double-digit fantasy points before the last two weeks, where we expected, you know, they had Houston, then they had Seattle at home. You're like, okay, positive game script. He's going to get break, break away for at least one long touchdown. Off we go. He's good because we know he's getting the touches, right? And we know he's explosive. And... But... That three-touchdown game from Pacheco is out there. It's just, it's out there. It's not going to last, right? It's not going to last. He's not the answer at running back in Kansas City. But that that game is out there. That I, I still contend that game is out there. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. When you look at their roles and their athleticism, there actually isn't a big difference between Miles Sanders and Isaiah Pacheco. It's Kansas City defense. Oof, and Pete Carroll. What? I mean, you, you have to think that Seattle was trying to lose this game. If you're up 17-3 and you run the ball 28 times, makes sense, right? But no, no, but no, 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 it was the opposite. No, no, it was, it, was, it was actually Seattle that ran the ball that many times. Kansas City only ran the ball 20 times. So I just... Kansas City daring Seattle to run, and then Pete Carroll saying, "Sure, okay, I'll take I'll take you up on that. Yeah, yeah, we can get we can get Walker 100 yards, right? Walker 100 yards, 12 fantasy points. Okay, McKinnon had 38 yards total, and the same number of fantasy points. I mean, that's just so I mean, just perfect, right? But Pacheco and Walker are similar." They're similar guys right now. They have similar roles. It's just that Walker's getting a uh, healthier dose of carries because Pete Carroll is his coach. But DJ Dallas is in the Jarek McKinnon role. This is why we like DJ Dallas so much. He went six for six. Dallas got 10 points, mostly in the passing game. It was a real shame, a real shame. Another takeaway, real shame that we didn't get to see a couple weeks of DJ Dallas as the primary back that that is also out there at some point we're gonna see that and i'm excited for it poor malik willis man i mean overmatched henry gave you 18 fantasy points what what more could you ask in that situation we also had the royce freeman week we had royce freeman with 16 carries 
and four fantasy points. So let's see. Let's count the the the, the touches. So Freeman had 17 touches and four fantasy points. That's less than a quarter of a fantasy point per touch for Royce Freeman. So somewhere, somewhere we know that Alex Caruso is smiling and Matthew Barry is frowning, right? <laughs> I mean, Alex, just <laughs> relentless, relentless on, on the... Uh, uh, the jokes, the Royce Freeman jokes in the Might of Mansion show, and uh, I was I was right to worry about Chris Olave, right? This was the worst possible game environment. I hated it. Didn't want to start Watson. Started Minshew over Watson. That was a great call. Was worried about Chubb. Eleven fantasy points. Uh, was worried about everybody in this game. Was worried about absolutely everybody. The guy that was in the best position to score fantasy points was Kamara because. You know, the Browns defense is one of the worst against the run. And, you know, there was really no other running back that was any kind of threat to, to get the carries. David Johnson, right? No. I mean, he, that, if Mark Ingram were a part of this offense, he would have got more carries. He might have actually uh, been, been called upon in the red zone instead of Kamara. But fortunately, Kamara, that's like a six-touchdown game. Kamara did get the touchdown. Could have got two, right? Because we know that Taysom Hill had a touchdown as well. So that was the one the one guy that you were thinking, okay, Kamara, Chubb, Chubb's at home. So Chubb could have got, you know, 92 yards and a touchdown. That would have been around what Kamara did because Kamara had the touchdown, but he had, you know, got a few targets, right? So that was good. So the two running backs were the only plays you felt safe. Right, you're working a bench Kamara. You're working a bench Chubb. Other than that, though, everyone else was very benchable. You ate your vegetables with Amari Cooper. He did get the 13 targets and 13 fantasy points. 13 targets, 13 fantasy points is the is the perfect eat your vegetables outcome from uh, Amari Cooper. So that was that was great. Uh, 27 total points scored. Right, just that's why. That's why you just want. You wanted pieces of the Giants passing game. You did not want pieces of the Browns passing game. That was just, I mean, game situation matters so much. And I am worried about Deshaun Watson. At at what point is Deshaun Watson going to be viewed as a bust that clearly they overpaid? That, that, That was clear the moment that it happened. But how much did they overpay? It's looking like a lot, right? Donovan Peoples Jones buried. Right? Was was Deshaun Watson a product of the weaponry? Was he supported by Hopkins and Fuller? And that made him look a lot better than he is? Remember, Hopkins' fantasy point production did not diminish when Tom Savage took over for that second half after Watson tore his ACL. In hindsight, this stuff becomes more interesting. You're like, wait a second. Wait a second. And and it is interesting that we had uh, Chuba Hubbard go off for 125 yards on half the number of carries. Like, this is so perfect. Like, yes, he didn't get the touchdown, right? We know Foreman got the touchdown. Foreman was a great play at home against the Lions. Of course, you're playing Foreman. But I also was playing some Hubbard. I was like, I want to play some Hubbard this week. They're going to run the ball. 
uh, a lot more than they're gonna than they're gonna throw it. We know it. That's the, the, that's their only choice. Like they're at home against the Lions, they have no other choice. There's gonna be a lot of possessions. So even if Hubbard is technically the breather back, he's gonna get plenty of carries and he is explosive. And he didn't even give you the targets. So typically Hubbard's more involved in the passing game. But Blackshear got the one target to a running back, and that was it. Otherwise, that was nice. I mean, uh, finally, we get DJ Moore facing the Lions in the playoffs. Get production from DJ Moore. Chark went over 100 yards. That This is a great box. Oh, this box score. And Terrace Marshall doing his best George Pickens impressions. Getting a few targets, but doing the most with them. The huge yards per target performance. Like, Three targets, 55 yards. It was a very George Pickens-esque output from Terrace Marshall, but Terrace Marshall's doing this in his second year. Pickens doing it in his rookie year, much more impressive. But I am not out on Terrace Marshall, continuing to to keep him rostered, keep the truther candle lit. Certainly, certainly not selling low on George Pickens. Oh, my God. This Falcons game, looking at this Falcons game. Drake London doing everything he can in the worst possible situation. Poor Justin Fields, man. Oh, brutal. Number one receiver, Valus Jones. Byron Pringle, brutal. Brutal. Now, so if new offensive coordinator comes in next year, right, and they, they tell us this long, elaborate anecdote about how much film they broke down of Justin Fields the previous year and how they put together this highlight reel from the last two years and how this is the perfect quarterback that I would believe that's true Justin Fields does look as close to the ideal quarterback like the raw material that you would make the perfect quarterback from yes and James Cook there it is there's nothing I like better than satellite back plus players getting fewer touches than the incumbent, than the the primary back. So James Cook going full Tony Pollard. He's already, you know, vastly more productive than Kenny Gainwell. So James Cook is right there in the nexus, like right between. If you combined Pollard and Gainwell, you put them in one of these particle acceleration chamber, outsteps James Cook. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that he has the the 24-yard run, gives you the touchdown. He's the right type of player in the right offense. And I'm I'm just excited. I'm I'm really excited. This this Bills-Chiefs playoff game. Final takeaway. I think we get this is at least 10 takeaways. I was like, I'm I'm uh, not as well prepared. I don't have the best uh, setup. I've been spending some, some quality family time here. It's the first time I've been to Maine in three years. To I've been to my sister's house in Maine, but to go all the way up to northern Maine to visit my parents has always been too much of a challenge. We came a, a day early to, to, to avoid the storm, but it's been well worth it. It's been really good. It's been really good. But I, I was like, I gotta I gotta I gotta get on I gotta get on the mic here. I gotta talk about <laughs> these games, these outcomes. We can talk about TJ Hawkinson. Oh, look, look at this. Look at this. Interesting, exciting little Pickens performance. We got to talk about Minshew. We got to get it. So plenty of takeaways at the end of the day, flip the mic on. 
They're like, oh, we get we got some takeaways here. But talking to my parents, my sister, about the NFL, it is a, oh, this this sport is healthy. I can tell you that. And uh, you know, my daughter loves it. I mean, and then everyone talking about who's going to face off in the Super Bowl, right? That it's not going to be Tom Brady, right? That he oh he 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 threw his life away for this, and we're making fun of Tom Brady, almost losing to McSorley. Just, just it, it, it's how it happened. It had to happen this way, right? He's not immortal. It had to happen this way. So we're felt feeling bad for Tom, but just getting more and more excited about the the playoffs. We're gonna have the best final four in the history of the NFL. It's gonna be Cowboys, Eagles. I know it. It's gonna be Bills, Chiefs. Between these four, I mean, it's gonna be the best final four in NFL history. Elliot and Pollard are Jamal Charles and Thomas Jones. What do we got to do with Tua? Well, we want to instill confidence. We want to build him up. How do you build him up? Well, you lie and tell him that he's your perfect quarterback. <laughs> it's like, no. You reverse engineer a whole narrative around him being your perfect quarterback when really he's not at all. 